welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching Ready or Not. A bride's wedding night takes a sinister turn when her eccentric new in-laws force her to take part in a terrifying game. Yep. Is this a horror movie? Yes. Is it? It is. Or is it a cat and mouse action movie? It's... Is it... <sighs> No, because it still it has still has horror elements. I mean, you know what? It's still fucking great. It's great, and it was unexpected, and it was fun. I mean, it it just it has a lot of horror elements, and I think because it was so fun, that disarms a lot of the gore and the rest of those elements. Yeah, I mean, this movie got high marks when it came out. Lots of people buzzed this up. Yeah, so I remember seeing the preview and being like, "Oh, that looks interesting. I might want to see that." And then it came and went, and I just remember hearing, oh, that movie's actually really fun. It's really fun. And then when we found out this year who's behind the movie and that they will be doing Scream 5, we're like, oh, well, now we have to. <laughs> you made the executive decision of we, we need to know who is, who is taking over the greatest horror franchise ever. Oh, I've never said that. I've never said it's the greatest horror franchise ever. Uh, it might be. I'd put it up there. It doesn't get as much respect as it deserves. Oh, my God. There are um, two fantastic fucking movies. A third movie that does not exist for our purposes. And then a fourth movie that is not bad. No. But it need it needed help. Most early 2010s movies did. Let's be I'm honest. I'm saying it now. I want to see Kirby and Stu in Scream 5. <laughs> At least Stu. If Stu's not in fucking Scream 5, I'm going to be pissed. Well. Anyway, back to this movie. This movie is great. It was super fun. It was only about an hour and a half. I was not ready for the humor. Neither was I. Like, especially contemporary movies, they've done a much better job of, like, disarming you a little bit with some humor to, like, take some of the edge off. Yeah. And some of that's to be like, oh, high pipe, like, they're ramping you up. We had a lot of violence. Okay, let's let's make it funny so you can relax for a minute. Or let me relax you so I can scare the fuck out of you. It's all about the roller coaster. Totally. This one is great. And I also love that it's a movie that is starring a female who is not dumb, not helpless. She's just in a shitty situation and she kicks some ass. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's fun. To, it's like it's fun to see somebody fight back. I mean, horror has traditionally been the one genre that has allowed female protagonists to do that. <laughs> yes and no. Usually at the cost of a bunch of other women first on screen being bludgeoned or being helpless and pathetic. Or going back to like even the origins, they have to suffer through a whole bunch of trauma to get their revenge. Totally. To uh, be sound enough to get their revenge. And yeah. and while there are some women who are horrible in this film, it really has no bearing on the outcome of our protagonist. And so it's super fun. This movie is like Clue meets Saw. A little bit. <laughs> like, little, like, it de definitely has clue feelings, which is great. Of course. But without the murder mystery part, because there is no mystery. There's no mystery. Well, there is a mystery, but, you know, like, it's <laughs> it's secondary to what's happening in front of us because, oh, yeah, all these people are going to kill her. I think the, the most fun thing about this movie is the humor doesn't come in the horror parts, which I think usually is what happens. There's usually, like, a joke to cut the tension of a really horrific Correct. thing we just saw. Instead, 
like half of the yucks in this movie are when all of a sudden our protagonist grace shows up in the middle of the room where everyone is to kill her well that's funny and that's expected because what's the worst thing that could happen she makes the wrong choice that's expected in a horror film so oh my god well then you expect them to instantly try to kill her no they're also buffoons yeah they're horrible. They are horrible at this game. They're horrible. And what the movie does so well is that it humanizes them to the extent that they are believable. They yes. are horrible people, but they're also people. Yes. Like all of them have never been put in the position that they are in. Yeah. In this moment. And that is one of the brilliant turns of the story. All of these horrible, awful murderers are people who probably would never do a murder except that they're forced to. I know, it's great. So of course they're incompetent at it. It's so fun. They got the realism right and they played it serious, which made it all the more entertaining and funny. Well, no, what was great is that the entire family admits that this is ridiculous. Except for one character. Yes, dad is gung-ho. No, Aunt Helena is yeah. all in. Dad isn't even really all in. <laughs> but they all admit this is insane. But at the same time, they're not willing to risk not doing it. Stakes are fucking high. This, their stakes are high. So <laughs> that's what they're going to do. And I love how they give it away so early with Adam Brody. That's because you don't have a soul, dear. Uh-huh. And you're just like, oh, yeah, no, that's like, that's really what's happening which is great because it's such an offhanded comment you think he's just being a dick to his wife which he is but it's also like y'all just sold your soul for all this money half the trivia on this movie was like well this thing represents this and it's like well duh they didn't try to hide that in this movie yeah you would normally chalk that up to bad filmmaking but in this case no that was the whole point Mm -hmm. we are going to bludgeon you over the head because that's what's funny about it yeah that's what's absurd about it It is a horror farce, is what it is. A horror farce. Well, the budget for this movie was $6 million. $6 million? Really? It is. That's because this whole movie was made in Canada. Oh, okay. In fact, a note about our cast, there are only three actors, main build, who are not Canadian. Interesting. Samara Weaving, Andy McDowell, and Adam Brody. And Samara Weaving is Australian. Yep. Everybody else in this film are prominent Canadian actors. Okay. And so this is all being put together. All of the sets were in Canada, like everything. So this is basically a Canadian production. Okay. Which keeps costs down. It just does. I guess. It's kind of, it feels weird. Eh, I don't know. I think it was just, we want to find the best character actors who are available for a quick shoot. No, it's it's totally fine. It's just like, okay. I remember reading, they they turned this movie around in about a month. Oh, yeah. And part of it was the locations they were using, but they shot this film very quickly. Well, it's a single location film. Yeah. I wonder, did they film it in order? No, I don't believe they did. I actually have a note about the first shot, and it is not in order, in sequential order. <laughs> well, no, but I, I understand not doing it exactly in sequential order, but you can also do a film where it's close to. No, our, our first shot of the film happens to be near the end of the movie, so... It opened to $8 million. It grossed in the U.S. $28,715,000 and globally took in $57,615,000. That is the kind of success that will get you greenlit on Scream 5. Yeah. It's not like 
Friday the 13th level bonkers. No. But that's a big enough hit for you to walk into a pitch meeting for Scream 5 and earn it. Yeah, you're a little slam down some money and be like, here we go. Not to mention, you made that sort of money on a pretty innovative and wild premise. Mm-hmm. With a lead that is unknown. Relatively, yeah. Because, Rel- I mean, a lot of people didn't know who she was at that point. Of course, yeah. everyone knows who she is now. And yeah, we made it with no money. with And a cast full of amazing character actors. Character actors. They're all character actors. Like, you don't have... You don't have, like, one big name in this film. No. You don't. Like, Andy McDowell is the most famous person in this film. And Adam Brody. That's and it. And Adam Brody. And that's sad. Those are the two most bankable stars in this film. That's That sounds really insulting to them. They're both lovely actors. It's not. It, it just goes, <laughs> The interesting thing is you can draw some parallels to this in Knives Out. The difference in this movie is that it is all about who fits the role best. Oh, sure. And it's a much smaller thing. It's, it's it's a much smaller self-contained unit versus Knives Out, which is a great movie in its own right, but is also a big production. Oh, sure. And it's just a different animal. It's, well, and it has a different aim and it's, but it's trying to misdirect you. This film is not trying to misdirect you no. at all. <laughs> like that film is trying to do so many things. That movie is awesome. I've watched it like three times because it was on Amazon Prime. <laughs> These are two movies that superficially would be compared to each other, but they're like the polar opposite stories. They are. They just both take place in really cool mansions. It's true. All right. Our writing. We have Guy Busick or Guy Busick because it is Canada. Canada It's probably Guy. Well, you know, Uh, before this, he did Watch Over Me and Urge. After this, he was a story editor and writer on Castle Rock for the 2019 season. And coming soon, he is a screenplay writer for Scream 5. Nice. And we have our Christopher Murphy. This is his first actual project as a writer. And he also wrote on the 2019 season of Castle Rock. He is not writing Scream 5. Okay. But we will hear about the other author of Scream 5 later. Yeah. <sighs> so what do we think of the writing? It's great. I mean, the story is good. The mythology could have been explained slightly more. Maybe. I feel like. The fact that we know that she can't actually be killed because they have to sacrifice her should have been ex- like what was actually happening should have been explained to the audience a little bit better before we got to it. I th- I feel like I caught it in that opening sequence. I heard them say he can't die. We have to get him in there first. No, I, I thought I heard a throwaway. It, it was really weird. Like the opening sequence I'm fine with. But yeah, it was just that was the only thing that I was like, I kind of wish they had explained that a little bit more but i i don't care because it was so fun (laughs) um but this story i mean it justifies itself it's very entertaining and then piling all this mythology on top and then creating these characters Mm -hmm. that undercut all of it the characters are fun i mean the sister who's just coked up and keeps killing people by accident is is just that's that's where the horror became comical (laughs) but that was good because the other horror isn't no and it's just straight up gross and that's fine and it should be and then grace's character Mm -hmm. just that that reaction when she finds out that they're trying to kill her and just this whole thing of him trying to calm her down and that line of like you're gonna blame me for this yeah you wanted to get married this is my fault that's my fault what the fuck yeah no it's great (laughs) and then just like how she'll just randomly just go fuck 
Because <laughs> it's just like, what else are you going to say? Like, there's no other words needed. And I think that's what I love is that there, it, there are moments where they definitely restrained themselves. She clearly had this deeper personality as a character. Mm-hmm. And this more just like, I don't fucking care. But because she wants this family, she's going to put on the airs that she needs to to get through it. And then when all that comes crashing down, she's like, like oh, fuck you. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm not putting up with this bullshit. Uh, you're not killing me for the sake of killing me. You're not going. Yeah, no. No, thank you. The uh, Domus, the family, was based on the now defunct game companies, Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers. Okay. And the term Shemhamifarash that they are chanting in the end sequence is an actual common phrase used in the Satanic Bible. It is the Satanic version of Hallelujah, basically. Okay. So all of that was pure Latin, and I think they were really buying into actual Satanism, which is smart because it lends credence to those scenes. Sure. How many times have we seen creepy cult stuff and it seems hokey? Instead, they made it very real. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. All right, we move on to our directors, and that is Matt Bettinelli-Olpain and Tyler Gillett. These two have done tons of shorts. They both then did a segment of VHS, the found footage horror anthology film. Okay. Devils Do, they also did a couple of portions of Southbound, another anthology, and they will be co-directing Scream 5. Mm-hmm. What do we think of the directing of this film? Oh, it's great. I, I mean, it's paced well. Yeah. Everyone's motivations are very clear. I'm not confused about any of the characters, like what they're doing in a scene or like what? Like I don't like I'm not confused about really anything when it really comes down to it. I believe everybody the moments hit the note they're supposed to hit. When I'm supposed to be grossed out, I'm grossed out. When I'm supposed to laugh, I laugh. And it's, it looks gorgeous. And it does look gorgeous. Like, they made a gorgeous film. Now, they had great locations, but... But that doesn't mean you can't fuck it up. They got the lighting right, they got the mood right, and you're right. The pace and edit of this movie is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It really brings it all together. They they knocked it out of the park. Like, they really did. I, I never felt like I was dragging at any point. I never felt lost. I never felt, like, confused. I always just felt like, ooh, what's gonna happen next? That's That's huge. Yeah, no, it was fun. I like things that I felt were predictable. They then played with a little bit and I enjoyed, you know, I I did love the yelling at the OnStar guy. <laughs> I, I love I, I love all that shit. Just throw in one random curveball right at the end of a very common scene. Yep. All right. We get on to our cast. Samara Weaving as Grace. Before this, she was on the longstanding Australian soap, Home and Away. Everybody from Australia has been on that damn show. Then Ash vs. Evil Dead, Monster Trucks, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, The Babysitter, and Picnic at Hanging Rock from 2018. After this, she was in Guns Akimbo, Hollywood on Netflix, Last Moment of Clarity, Bill and Ted Face the Music, and the recently released The Babysitter, Killer Queen. Coming soon, she's going to be in Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, and... Nine Perfect Strangers. Oh, God. G.I. Joe. Mm. The Nine Perfect Strangers movie's got like a cast of thousands, though, so that'll be fun. What do we think of Samara weaving in this movie? She's phenomenal. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I said up top, she's got a lot of agency, and she sells it. And she's very interesting. She's more than a pretty face. 
She gets grimy. She gets grimy. She has real emotional reactions. Yeah, she does, and she she just does a great job. She does a great job. Mm-hmm. And I, we have seen Bill and Ted face the music, which we need to talk about for the show. <laughs> and she was super fun in that, and it's a completely different tone. This sold it for me for her performance. The nail that her hand goes through mm-hmm. is completely CGI. Yeah, it'd have to be. Well, they worried about that. They thought they might need to figure out a practical effect or do a shot showing it. Sure. Because, you know, they were like, is it going to read? Then they saw her do it. And she sold that whole performance on her own. Yeah, her scream is phenomenal. So, And also very interesting. It's not canned scream. That's not what it feels like. It, yeah. feel, it feels very visceral. Every single moment that she reacts feels like that. So she did So she did a great job. So then you're not paying attention to the hand as much. So the CGI, you don't, wouldn't notice. But yeah. of course it's CGI. Yeah, but it, it is one of those things where it was like, are we going to be able to do this? Do we need to figure out a practical effect sure, instead? Fair. What are we going to do? And instead, she just did it on raw emotion. Well, and that's fair. That is one of those horror moments that you want to look as real as possible. So you don't want to fake it. And the fact that you have an actress that can sell it that well. That's emoting it enough. Like uh-huh. She's doing a lot of heavy lifting for you. You can CGI whatever you need. She does that throughout the whole fucking she's great. movie. She's great. And then she also, but she also lands comedy so well. Uh-huh. So, which Bill and Ted, she's also great at. So, uh, so fun. She did not know how to drive for this film. She had to be taught how to drive or at least how to pretend to drive. <laughs> okay. By the crew. And who could have been better? Her secret Australian twin, Margot Robbie. Oh, yeah. Was considered for this role. Yeah, but Mario Robbie's much older than her. I know. It like, is just funny that it is. You put pictures of them side by side and you're like, are what? No, huh? they, they, they look like they're cousins. <laughs> and the fact that they're both Australian. Yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't help things. No. And then you put Charlize Theron and it's just like, it's a coven. They're witches. What's wrong? Somebody threw Jamie Presley. Somebody had like a nine shot picture of a bunch of blonde actresses. And it was like, what is this? You all have the same face. I don't get it. Yeah. No. Every <laughs> couple of years, they do something like, 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 look at all of the young 20 something girls. They look the exact, all the white ones. They all look the exact same. I mean, to be fair, the boys are much worse. No, I like it when they put all the Chris's together. And it's like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Next build, we have Adam Brody as Daniel. Before this, he was in Growing Up Brady on television, American Pie 2, according to Spencer, The Ring. He was in a lot of random roles oh, yeah, in movies. Oh, yeah, he was in The Ring. Yeah, it's weird. Gilmore Girls. Yeah, Dave Grabowski. Grind, The O.C., <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Thank You for Smoking, The Ten, Smiley Face in the Land of Women, Jennifer's Body, Scream 4, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, Lovelace, Baggage Claim, Burning Love on Television, Yoga Hosers, and 2017's Chips. After this film, he appears in Shazam, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, and The Kid Detective. And coming, he will appear again in Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Oh, yay. I'm glad. I'm happy about Shazam. I was very excited when he showed up in Shazam. That should be coming in 2023, apparently. Yeah. That's a while from now. That feels so far away. Uh Uh-huh. I remember reading IMDb in junior high and being like, 2001? That's the future! What are you talking about? And I'm like, it's 2020 and it's the worst. Yeah, it's true. What do we think of Adam Brody in this movie? I really like mature Adam Brody playing an alcoholic. Because he's been, for so long, he's been the neurotic, emo, nerd guy. And he was one of the first ones to really 
play that shtick on TV in in the teen early twenties area. Um, and he was adorable at it, and he's very attractive, and that's my thing. He helped pave the way for like your gym helpers, like he just did. So I like this evolution of his acting, where he's old, bitter, and drunk. Yeah, like very drunk. And it's interesting. There, there was a note, and I, I hadn't had it here originally, but in the scene, before, while they're gathering the stuff up to go hunting, uh huh. Originally, it was written that he was supposed to just be downing more drinks and getting progressively getting more drunk. drunk. And Brody said no; he would try to sober up. And the filmmakers went, "Oh yeah." He's thinking through this role and bringing much bigger depth than what I think people saw from him early on with that sort of typecast. He's really trying to use this as a moment to stretch. Well, to be fair, there you listed a bunch of movies where he was definitely stretching. That's true. That's very um, true. I haven't seen them. This one is just the first one I've seen. I do like that because one of the things I like about his character is when you first meet him, you just think he's the Lothario brother. Yeah. And you find out, no, he's very damaged by what the, by this whole thing. He's very traumatized by all this. And his family, because of what he did as a child that we saw, he's been given this badge of honor. And it's like, this is so fucked up. Oh, he's been drinking forever to try and numb it away. Exactly. And so I like that it was like, I've just been drinking. It's like, oh, now I have to face my past. Am I going to be that person again? And I, the other thing, this is, this goes back to writing. They gave him multiple opportunities because that first time when they're in the draw in the billiards room and he's just like, I have to tell him you're here. And she's just like, do you really? It's what I do. Mm -hmm. And then he's, I'm going to count to 10, one Mississippi, (laughs) two, two and a half. Yeah. Like he just, and then she's like. She's in here. <laughs> oh no, she got away. And it's just like that's the that's a great thing because when you see him again, that's one of those subverting your expectations, and you think, okay, he's just gonna kill her. But then it turns into, I don't want to do this. I'm fucking done. So it's the very slow rejection of his former identity. That is very well played. It's, it's a really good role. Yeah. Damn, I gotta go watch it again now. He does a great job. It's like, kind of character study this now. Although, he had a very careless actor moment. Uh-oh. While rehearsing, he was playing around with what he thought was a retractable knife and stabbed a producer. Don't fuck with the props. Actors, don't touch your props. The producer received eight stitches to his shoulder and returned to work that day. Adam got a stern talking to. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he will never touch a prop and butter knife ever again. Uh, no, I guarantee you he will not go near the props until it is time for call. He will be handed his props. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's awesome. When 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 you're fucking around with props, stabs a guy. <laughs> Next up, we have Mark O'Brien as Alex, our soon-to-be groom. Okay. Before this, he was a working actor with some recurring TV spots, but then he had a long run on Halt and Catch Fire. He's one of the soldiers in Arrival. He was on The Last Tycoon on television, The Front Runner, and Bad Times at the El Royale. And after this, he was in City on a Hill and Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. Coming soon, he's got a movie that he is starring and directing called The Righteous, who is okay. also going to have one of our main actors in this movie, Henry Zerny, co-starring with him. Okay. So interesting. That's supposed to be another horror film. 
interesting. Canadian right? horror, everybody. All right. I'm here for it. What do we think of Mark O'Brien in this movie? He's, I, I liked that it was someone I didn't know who they were as an actor. It's a hallmark of horror franchises is unknowns. Because, you know, when you put a, a well-known face, you're like, that either that person's the killer or that person's dead first. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, that's usually a giveaway. Love it. I liked what happened with his character as well. It made sense for me. Like, no, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. But then when he really has to face the thing, he breaks down. He does. He breaks down. And he's, he's just the scared kid in the, in the armoire. It's a thing of he is a good guy. And somebody pointed this out and it's very true. It's like when he realizes she will never stay with him because of this, he realizes what option do I have here? Well, yeah. Once he realized like once this is over, I've I've already lost her. Yeah. So then it means I lose my family and my family loses all their money. So fuck that. Which I which makes sense. It it really does. It's like, one of the it's one of those very interesting moments where you're not angry at him. You're sad that now we're here. You're like, this makes sense. It makes so much sense. And you're sad because you're like, I wish you could have stayed good, but now you gotta go. <laughs> no, totally. And and I again I was fine with that because it was like, he's trying to save her. He's trying to save her. And if he was able to have saved her. I could see a I could see a world where they could have figured it out if the rest of the family was dead and they were the last survivors. Since and, he could see Mr. LaBelle, I feel like you could write that out. True. And I I wish we could have gotten a little bit of that. Yeah. Like, why could you see Mr. LaBelle? I would have loved some of that mythology. Like, what does that actually point to? But <laughs> but okay, whatever. It's just the interesting turn. They put real moral quandaries into this movie, mm -hmm. which I think is what you have to do when you're going to reveal the bulk of your twists right up front. When the, the turn of the screw of this movie is right there in front of you. Well, it's in the trailer. Exactly. Like you have to make the stake. The stakes have to be interesting for the characters. And they did that. Yeah. The morality then becomes... The really interesting part of the movie. And I, again, I like that Grace isn't like, I love you and I know you would never do this. Like, I know that's just like, oh, no, fuck you. You knew about this this whole time and you never told me fuck off. Yeah. Like, no, fuck you. And like, cares about him because True. he is trying to help her. True. And somewhere in there, she's like, I know you love me. I know I love you. I but you also... We're fucking done if I get out of here. <laughs> like, and it's just like, I know you're trying to protect me, but you didn't help me by shielding me from the truth. Yeah. Like, you fucked yourself. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of that co-star, Henry Zerny is in this film as Tony, the patriarch. Okay. Before this, he did a bunch of smaller films before he got a breakout role in Clear and Present Danger. And then Notes from Underground, Mission Impossible as Kittredge. Oh, Okay. The Ice Storm, External Affairs, After Alice, Klepto, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Chaos, The Pink Panther, Conversations with God, Fido, The Tudors on Television for a Season, The A-Team from 2010, and Sharp Objects in 2018. And coming soon, he is supposed to be in The Righteous, as we talked about, and Mission Impossible 7 and 8. His character's coming back. Okay, interesting. So what do we think of Henry Zerny in this movie? I mean, he's fine. He's just the crazy patriarch. I love that he 
is getting a little moment to shine only because this is a guy who's built his career on making an impact in about five to 10 minutes of film. Yeah. And in this movie, he's getting a lot more to chew on. Sure. Because he's a scene chewer. He is. And I, he's the one who is very much the same throughout the whole film. Yeah. He's like, this is my thing. This is what we're doing. We're going to get like, we have, this is, we have to do the thing. We have to do the thing. And I love how he's like, people keep trying to bring up, well, you know, what about the rules? He was like, fuck the rules. I don't care. At this point, like. It's about our money and not dying. Yeah. Yeah. He does not give two shits about how they accomplish it. It's like, oh, now I'm going to bend the fucking rules so that I can win. It's just like, my job is to keep this family and its money intact. That's it. And I will stop at nothing to do that. Mm -hmm. All of the family portraits are based on him and (laughs) his image. And they are all currently in storage in Toronto. I really hope he has in his storage in Toronto. (laughs) Just one of them. Oh, yeah. If I ever did a project where they'd made some big piece of art based on my image, I'd be like, I get that. You know that, right? The one big one of like great granddad who met with Mr. LaBelle. Uh-huh. Just like, give, give me that one, please. Oh, yeah. Like Kit Harrington, like they made like the the shrine to Jon Snow. And like, he's like, that's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> and now we get to maybe the most accomplished actor in this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Andy McDowell as Becky. Before this, she was in Greystoke, St. Elmo's Fire, Sex Lies and Videotape, Green Card, The Object of Beauty, Hudson Hawk, The Player, Groundhog Day, Shortcuts, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Bad Girls, Multiplicity, Michael, Muppets from Space, The Muse, Town and Country, Dinner with Friends on Television, Beauty Shop, Barnyard, Footloose from 2011, Magic Mike XXL, Only the Brave, and Christmas Inheritance. After this, she was in the television series Four Weddings and a Funeral, recently came out. Mm-hmm. What do we think of Andy McDowell in this movie? I really like her as a heartless bitch. Oh my god. That was fun. But I do forget that she she kind of played that sort of woman in Magic Mike XXL. I forgot. Oh, interesting. I forgot. You haven't seen that, right? No. She's, she's in there for like 10 minutes, but it's pretty good. This is one of those moments where it's like everything that Andy McDowell had done as a romantic lead all throughout the 80s and 90s is turned right on its head in this movie. A little bit, a little bit. Although there is some of that maternal instinct there. And even when she is being cold and calculating, you also sense this thing of like, I really wish you had been in the family. I think you're kind of cool. No, it's very much that she's just very hardened. Oh, so hard. So it's like, I like you. I hope this works out well. But if it doesn't, me. I'm going to kill you. It's you or me, and I'm going to choose me. Of course. Like, that's, I mean, it's very matter of fact, and I get that. So she, she's, she's fun. She's so she's, fun to watch and phenomenal in the role. Super grounded, too, which a lot of, a lot of these actors are flying off the rails around her, and she is very much in control. Yes. Which is very cool. She doesn't freak out about anything, which is which is part of the fun. Yep. The first day of shooting was the fight between Grace and Becky at the end. <laughs> okay. Samara Weaving accidentally hit McDowell with a prop brick. Uh-oh. Ooh, not good. Uh, they were horrified. They thought she was just going to walk off set. Oh, shit happens. Yeah, but they were like, we cast Andy McDowell and then we hit her in the head with a brick. What are we going to do? You have a fight. <laughs> 
me and Eric, that that happens. That's that's not on the same level as getting stabbed with a knife. It's just, <laughs> with, with, it's, a, with a prop knife while you're fucking around, yeah. Yeah, she got hit in the context of filming a scene. Still, I do like that they were all like, oh, no. Please don't quit our movie. Please don't leave. We want you. Please don't quit. Please, please don't quit. And that is it for our main cast. Okay. We now move on to our pawns. We have Melanie Scrifano playing Emily, the coked out sister. She is the titular Winona Earp from television. Really? And has also been on Letterkenny. We have Christian Brune playing Fitch, the other guy. The other guy. Uh, he is a well-known improv comedy guy. Mm-hmm. He has had a long run as the sidekick guy on Orphan Black. Yeah, I know I've seen him around. And he is the doctor on The Handmaid's Tale. He is a doctor. I had to stop watching that show. It's depressing. Ah. We have Nikki Gudani playing Aunt Helena. She was in Lars and the Real Girl and the Canadian horror classic Cube. Yeah. Okay. We have Nat Faxon as the voice of Justin, the fake OnStar guy. Nat Faxon is the writing partner of Jim Rash and is an Oscar winner for the script of The Descendants. Okay. Along with being in the short-lived but pretty well-regarded sitcom Married on FX with Judy Greer. We also have our two writers, Guy Busick and R. Christopher Murphy, playing Richard and Charlie, the crossbow experts on YouTube. <laughs> okay, that's funny. And playing Mr. LaBelle, who nods to Grace in the fire, Yeah, is James Vanderbilt. He is a longtime writer-producer who wrote the screenplay for Zodiac and is co-writing Scream 5. <gasps> okay, we love Zodiac. Uh-huh. Like, we're super big... <gasps> He's written a few other things, and I don't have the credits here, but the guy who wrote Zodiac is co-writing the screenplay for Screen 5. Stu's so coming back. (laughs) Stu's so Y'all are going to have to listen to me talk about this shit forever. Stu's so coming back. Matthew Lillard will do it, too. It's going to be good. I have to go watch Zodiac now. It's on Netflix. I'm going to do it. All right, and that gets us to trivia. Trivia. So the production only had five candelabras to work with. Because they did not have very much budget. And they had very fancy locations. Okay, but like chandeliers, like well, that's a problem. Candelabras. But they constantly okay. moved the same candelabras room to room to light the hallways. Okay, I'll allow it. They got smart with it. No, that's totally fair. Yeah. The goat that scares Grace into the well was originally a puppet. But they did a first take with that puppet and they realized how ridiculous it looked. That's fair. So they talked to the goat wranglers and the goat wranglers were like, oh, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love the goat. They were apparently so excited. The goat's great. Uh, costume designer Avery Plews created 17 different versions of the wedding dress, showing the progress of the night and the corresponding mood of grace throughout the film. Okay. And the Chuck Taylors had to be custom painted because Converse no longer makes that color in production. Okay. So. Level of detail in these costumes, very high. I mean, I that is the one horror movie trope is that the girl's wearing something ridiculous. And so, but I, I like how it's very quickly adapted for her to have agency. Of course, she's still wearing her wedding dress. But, you know, when she crawls into that dumbwaiter, she takes off her shoes because that would be ridiculous. That's the smart thing to do. And then later, she's like, she doesn't put them back on when she decides to get out. And then when she's running away, her husband hands her her shoes. Like, no, you need here's your shoes. Go. So like, it makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And so I like it, and I like that she's walking, and 
her dress is obviously the length that's supposed to be when she's wearing heels. It's too long. She can't do this. So she sits down. She rips her dress. So like the evolution of her dress is written into the script in a way that makes sense and again gives her more agency. And so while it's this white floofy thing that makes her stick out like a sore thumb, it's still perfect. Where it gets wild is when she falls into the well. Then it becomes dirty and it starts getting extra grimy and it's like, oh. But no, it's but it's great. Yeah. It's great. The pepper box revolver that Emily tries to use but fails to throughout the entire film is the same gun used in the board game Clue. Aw, yay. <laughs> Cute. Over 200 fictional board games were submitted for use in the film, but only eight were cleared by legal. Okay. <laughs> they were they were too similar to actual games, sure. apparently. Sure. <laughs> All of the taxidermy was locally sourced from the same place. Okay. Including the bear with the goat's head in its mouth. Apparently, it came that way. No. <laughs> I think it's a weird flex, but whatever. The home they used for the estate is the same as used in Billy Madison. It is called the Casa Loma in Toronto. Mm. It's a preserved historical estate, so when they went into the bedroom, they could not light any candles or touch half of the furniture or decorations in that room. Yeah, that sounds right. Hence why they hide behind the bed. Yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense. They talked about some of the other locations. It's all very, like, Toronto-based, but they're all, like, very big estates or houses or public parks in and around Toronto. Mm -hmm. So they use different parts of those locations to stitch together the whole big giant mansion for Ladone. Yeah. Okay. And so that's how they put it together, which also is why I was like, quick shoot. We need a bunch of great Canadian actors to match with these few stars and we got to make it on the fly because we only have a certain amount of time. These are public spaces. It's ingenuity. They really did a lot with a little. And in interviews, the cast tallied all the times they'd been killed off in shows or movies. Apparently, Elise Levesque, who played Charity, had the top number among yeah. all of them. However, none had exploded, so they said that was a first. Interesting. <laughs> and that gets us to our ratings. Ratings. I mean, we gotta go with the box, right? How many cards? Yeah, cards make sense. How how many cards do we have to draw from Mr. LaBelle's box for this movie? I I mean, I think I'm going like four and a half. I don't know why I'm not saying five, but my first thought was four and a half. So I'm going with four and a half. I'm trying, I'm trying to think about why it's not a five because I'm like, I want to rewatch this. But I think it's just because of the mystical elements not being more like explained. Like I want to know what the deal is with Mr. LaBelle and why. Certain people could see him and other people couldn't. Like, what does that actually mean? What does that point to their character? I want that explained to me. And I think because I don't know that from the movie, it bugs me. Yeah. My initial impulse was a four. I think I'll go four and a half with you, though. Mm -hmm. I think what it is, is that there are the tiniest of plot holes from like a big picture level Mm -hmm. that are left really open ended. Yeah. And because of that. That that's why you're left with just that tiniest feeling of I feel like I missed something. And maybe if you caught it later, but I don't think so. I think it's just that when you sort of blow it up and look at it all there, you're like, wait a minute, there's something missing right there. Yeah. But that doesn't make it any less watchable or any less awesome. <laughs> and fun. And it's one of those ones that I was like, if you can stand a little gore, because there's not a ton of gore, 
it's gory, but it's not constant and there's not a ton of it. It's very shocking. It's more like, whoa, they did that. Oh my God. Oh no, 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 no. Um, All the servants. Poor ser- servants. Servants are great. This is one that I would definitely recommend to people to watch. So good. Yeah, because it's it's so it's so fun. If you want to dip your toe into into horror, this is a great place to start. Yeah, and I'm totally gonna have to go watch the babysitter now because Samara Samara Weaving's in it, and because it's a horror film on yeah. Netflix, and it's right there. And I'm just gonna do it because I need to. Yeah, fair. But we have a different movie to wrap things up. Yep. Next week we're gonna watch the thing. I have been meaning to see this movie for so long. I've never seen it. I've been, I've just been ambivalent about it. And I know it's a classic. I just, I haven't cared. I've seen so many things based on the thing. I know the whole premise, which doesn't ruin anything about it, not knowing it. I think it's just one of those ones that I've just been, it's been talked about at me for so long. I really just hope it's not like one of the Kubrick things where I'm just like, Eh, okay, now I know where everything comes from. Great. Yeah, but also John Carpenter. Being And I, Kurt Russell. And I like those two things. Yeah. I'm a fan. So, till next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.